Good morning to you. Uh, my name is Cameron. I serve as one of the pastors here. And it's my privilege to peace, uh, preach a message about peace from Philippians 4, 1 through 13. So if you haven't already done so, open or activate your Bibles to that passage. And as you're returning there, let me give you another reminder that we're celebrating Advent here at City Light. And Advent simply means coming or arrival. And so for the four weeks prior to Christmas, we take some moments to celebrate the first coming of Christ, and we anticipate His second coming. And as we do so, we focus on the four primary benefits of Christ's Advent, which are hope, peace, joy, and love. And so Chris taught us last week about hope, and today our message focuses on peace. You know, on paper, Christmas should be a season that ushers in a lot of peace, but psychologists tell us that this tends not to be the case. Our peace can be especially threatened during the holiday season, and here's why, at least three reasons. Number one, we set up unrealistic expectations. A lot of us go into the season with this mentality that this year, my life and my family's life will turn out like those Hallmark movies that Pastor Chris loves so much. But what happens is, instead of experiencing Christmas at Snowy River, uh, it turns into Christmas vacation, uh, complete with weird uncles and battles with woodland creatures. That's a real thing back in the mountains of Tennessee. Financial pressures and unmet expectations. And then secondly, a cause of stress is we try to do too much, don't we? We've got the work party, the city group party, eight family gatherings to attend, 37 breakfast casseroles to make, eight pies to be filled, and you're hell-bent on ensuring that your kid gets every last item on their Christmas list, even if it means going into debt until Christmas of 2027. <laughs> yeah, listen, you've never been to prison, but you're willing to risk it if it means you can get your hands on some fingerlings. You know what that is? Like this popular holiday toy. You'll assault somebody in the toy aisle. You'll steal Amazon packages on doorsteps. You'll do whatever it takes. And then number three, we play the comparison game on social media, don't we? Oh, that family found their kids fingerlings? Well, the best I could do is a set of dusty finger puppets from Goodwill. Well, look at them. They have matching Old Navy pajamas. They're wearing Santa Claus hats. They're drinking hot chocolate. But my family went to bed disappointed and angry, and now I'm alone in the basement with a bottle of wine on Facebook. <laughs> now, you're probably aware, but multiple studies are concluding that heavy social media use is a leading cause of depression. And one reason for this is when we look into people's lives... Through those platforms, we buy into the myth that everybody's life is more put together than yours is. But that's a myth. It's just a veneer. You know, some people do hang their dirty laundry out on Facebook for the world to see. We've got friends like that. But most people continually put their best foot forward, and they're trying to project an ideal yet unrealistic picture of their family. Listen, City Light, I assure you that no matter how good they look on there and their white button-downs at the beach in the Bahamas, they're just as broken as you are. And so while adjusting our expectations and simplifying our schedules and shopping lists and fasting from social media can, can bring us a measure of peace, 
None of that will truly satisfy our souls. None of that will give us the rest we seek during this Christmas season. Only Jesus can do that. And this is one of the points that Paul makes to the Philippian church in chapter 4 of his letter. Now keep in mind that Paul dearly loved this church. He had a special relationship with them. Uh, This was the first church he planted in what is now modern-day Europe. And he was passionate that they lived countercultural lives filled with peace and purpose. Uh, But the Philippians were anxious. They had their fair share of drama just like we have. And their peace was threatened by false teachers and internal conflict. And maybe they were worried, like we do during times like this, about financial provision. And so in chapter 4, Paul reminds them in very practical ways, and he reminds us that real peace is possible in the midst of our problems. He gives them practical instructions for how to experience peace. And then he culminates this section with a word about True contentment only coming through the person of Christ. So if you're here today and you've got conflict at work and when you come home, if Christmas serves to remind you that you're flat broke, and if your anxiety is at an all-time high as you enter the room today, then my prayer is that God would take this word and work it in your heart and give you rest, give you relief from the anxiety. And so how is it that we experience peace, the peace that Christ brings? Well, if you're taking notes, here's number one. We experience peace through unity, through unity. Uh, Let me read verses one through three again for us. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So in a previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says that he writes through tears that there are many people who are walking as enemies of the cross. And he's probably referring to the Judaizers. And so Paul rightly taught that a right relationship with God only comes through a relationship with Jesus. But the Judaizers were guilty of teaching that uh, we get to God through our good works, that righteousness comes by adhering to the Old Testament ceremonial laws. And Paul's burdened, and it would break his heart if this Philippian church fell prey to their false teaching. And you can just see his heart spilling out for this church In verse 1, he says, My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. And he exhorts them, stand firm in the Lord. But in addition to the pressure they're facing from without, we also see an instance that is just as disconcerting to Paul. They've got internal conflict going on. And City Lot understand that that church or this church or any church can't stand against false teaching and external pressure if we're divided internally. And and apparently conflict had driven at least two women apart. Uh, Euodia and Syntyche, they just can't get along. They've got a severe conflict going on. And we don't know the source of this. Maybe Syntyche got the part of Mary in the Philippians Christmas play, and it made Euodia jealous. Or 
Maybe Yodia got more compliments on her casserole at potluck and prayer, and Syntyche wasn't feeling much of that. We don't know, but Paul entreated them to be reconciled. And he even calls on a mediator to help these gals get along. So why is it that Paul was so passionate that these two gals get along with one another? Why did he want them to live in peace? Well, he was concerned for them, but he's also concerned for another reason. Number one, the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. In verse 3, he says, These ladies labored side by side with me in the gospel together. So this conflict is hindering their gospel work, and it's killing their gospel witness. And so why do I say this? Well, because of what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Understand that we are God's ambassadors. We are His image bearers. And when we love each other the way we should in sacrificial ways, we show forth the sacrificial love of God to the world. But when we're contentious toward one another, and when selfishness drives us apart, we misrepresent God to the world. So it's for the sake of the gospel that they get along. Then secondly, Paul is concerned because they are sisters in Christ, and sisters should get along. Notice again at the end of verse 3, Paul says their names are in the book of life. And so the book of life refers to God's record of everybody who belongs to him in Christ. At one point, just like we were before Jesus, they were lost in their sins, and their sins created enmity with God. But they turned from their sins, and they were reconciled to God, and they enjoyed the peace of God that we read about in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians 2.14 tells us that everybody who trusts in Jesus are also reconciled to one another. So look around this room for a moment. If you're in Jesus, we are literally Brothers and sisters in the Lord. Our spiritual bonds are thicker than our blood bonds with our earthly family members. And we're going to spend forever together in heaven. Doesn't it make sense then that we learn to get along with each other in the here and now? And so God gives us some resources to do just that. So how does this work out? Well, it's been my experience that if you're in Christ... And if you're at odds with a brother or sister, that that grieves the Holy Spirit. And He will not let you rest until you make things right. You know, in our flesh, our temptation when we sin against one another is to move away from each other. We talk about people, we gossip, or we develop grudges. And this is why spouses give each other the silent treatment. And this is why we delete each other from Facebook. That'll really show them. Uh, But the Holy Spirit drives us to go toward the offended party and to work things out. And then Ephesians 4.32 tells us to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. So how did Christ forgive us? Well, we committed the greatest offense. We're offensive in our sins to the sovereign Lord of the universe. And our sins separated us from a right relationship with God. But yet, out of love for us, Christ laid down his life on the cross. He took initiative. He pursued us in our weakness, and he lavished his grace and mercy on us, though we did not deserve it. And so, similarly, the Holy Spirit 
can empower us to show grace, to extend forgiveness to the greatest offenders in our lives. City Light, have you ever paused to consider that one of the main reasons that you lack peace could be that there are unreconciled relationships present in your life? So first, we need to ask this fundamental question. Do you have peace with God? Have you turned from your sins and have you trusted in Jesus? Have you, have you been welcomed into the Father's presence? Understand that it is futile to think that we will have any kind of peace in this creation if we are at odds with our Creator. And then secondly, is there an individual that you need to offer forgiveness and mercy to, to be reconciled with? Is there a face or a name that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now? You know, maybe a practical action step would be to take your spouse out to lunch after service and to clear the air if you've been distant from one another. Or maybe you need to make a preemptive phone call to that family member or that friend that you avoid, like the plague, when you go home for the holidays. Or maybe somebody in this very room, you've got odds with them and you need to seek them out right after the service to pursue a process of reconciliation. Listen, don't underestimate how freeing and peace-giving reconciliation and forgiveness can be. Now, here's another handle, a practical way that we can experience peace. Number two, we experience peace through prayer. It's really simple. We come to know the peace of God as we pray. Let me read again verses 4 through 7 for us. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, what a beautiful promise here, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, as opposed to living worry-filled lives and contentious lives, Paul calls them and he calls us to lives filled with joy and reasonableness and unity. And church, isn't that such a better way to live? To be free from worry and filled with joy? Would you rather not be a reasonable person as opposed to being a quarrelsome person who's always initiating conflict? And you might be saying, Cameron, well, that sounds really good on paper, but how do we get there practically? Well, Paul helps us here. And first he gives us the motivation, then he gives us the means. So what's, what's the motivation for peace-filled living? What's the little phrase we see there? Uh, the Lord is at hand. And here Paul is primarily emphasizing the fact that someday Christ will return and he will hold his people accountable for their deeds. And we need to be committed then to living peace-filled lives and be instruments of reconciliation because someday God will come back, Christ will come back, and He will hold us all accountable for such. And then what's the means, the practical means we utilize to obtain peace? Well, it's prayer. Really simple. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. So the first and most basic remedy for our anxiety is prayer. 
You know, when anxiety arises in our heart, the, the temptation is, is to worry and to fret and to despair and to maybe light up a Marlboro. But, but it doesn't make sense to worry in those moments. And it's been my experience that, that worry only makes things worse. It doesn't help us at all. Rather, as believers, the moment a shoot of anxiety surfaces in our hearts, we need to get into this habit where we automatically give that concern over to God in prayer to immediately go to Him with our anxious hearts. Because think about it. God is the only one with the power to change your situation. Worry does nothing to alter your circumstances. And as we're about to learn, he's the only one who can give us peace in the midst of our problems. And the text says to pray with thanksgiving. And when we do this, we remind ourselves that we serve a good God who's been gracious to us. And therefore, he'll continue to be gracious to us no matter what we go through. And notice again, verse 7, what actually happens when we pray, when we lean on the Lord. Paul says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so when Paul uses the word guard, he's evoking military imagery. Remember that Philippi was a Roman colony, and a garrison of Roman soldiers were stationed there, and they protected the city. So you have to imagine the residents there felt pretty secure. At night, when they laid their heads on their pillows or their rocks or whatever they used back in that day, they were able to sleep peacefully at night. Well, think about it. When we pray, the sovereign God of the galaxy, the, the chief commander of angelic armies, the Bible says he guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. What a glorious promise. When we pray, Paul says he gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. This means that he gives us peace, though it makes zero sense that we have peace, based on what we're experiencing. You know, there's no guarantee that, that prayer will remove our problems, but we do have a promise here that we can have real peace in the midst of our problems. And I hope this great reality is dawning on you in this moment. Biblically speaking, peace is not the absence of problems or pain. Peace is the person of Christ. And we experience the presence of Christ through prayer. You know, I learned this firsthand several years ago when I got a phone call that shook me to my core. And so to make a long story short, my stepdad at the time, he got addicted to prescription painkillers and it wreaked havoc on my family. And I had known for a while that he was abusing my mother emotionally but then my aunt called to tell me that the abuse had become physical. And I have to confess, church, that in that moment, I lost it. I was seething with anger. And I went to my truck and put my 9mm in the glove box. And I was intent on driving down there and dishing out a dose of good old boy justice. But as I sat there in a powerful way, a way I haven't experienced since then, the Holy Spirit absolutely arrested my heart. He seized me and restrained me. And anytime I tried to put my hands on the wheel or turn the key, he would not allow me to do that. So after fighting that for a little while, I literally opened the door, rolled out into the grass, grabbed a tree, I'll never forget it, and laid prostrate before the Lord. 
And I wrestled with God for over an hour, and I tried to do the best I could to submit the situation to Him. I prayed for my mom. I prayed for my family. And I'll never forget what I experienced when I rose to my feet. Though it made no sense, perfect peace flooded my soul. And and the other remarkable thing about that moment was he actually gave me compassion for my stepdad in the midst of that moment. I had genuine compassion and concern that he was a man caught up in his sins, that the pain pills had turned him into a monster, and that he was far from Jesus. And think about it, in that moment it made zero sense that I felt that way about him based on what he did to my mom. But what we learn is that when we pray... We experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So when adversity comes your way, do you stress and do you analyze the situation from every angle? Or do you give your anxieties over to the Lord? Do you pace around the house or is your gut instinct to pray? You know, Maybe you have prayed, but I ask you, have you prayed without ceasing? Have you lingered long with the Lord until your heart gets relief? Yeah, I'm convinced that, that maybe one reason we don't experience more peace through prayer is that we don't dwell in the presence of God long enough. I love the way that D.A. Carson puts it. He says that, I have yet to meet a chronic worrier who enjoys an excellent prayer life. There's a correlation. Let me say that again. I've yet to meet a chronic worrier who enjoys an excellent prayer life. Now listen, I understand that Prayer is not a cure-all for every ounce of anxiety that you have. I get that it's complex and there's a medical component to it. It can be. But let me just submit that, that prayer is the place that we should all start when our hearts are tempted toward despair. And so we can experience the peace of God through unity, uh, through prayer. And then here's a third way to experience the peace of God. If you're taking notes, number three... We experience His peace by practicing His Word. By practicing His Word. Now, there's two ways we practice His Word that I see here. Meditation and imitation. Through meditation and imitation. Now, when most of us think of meditation, we think of hot yoga, yoga pants, getting in the lotus positions, lighting incense, um, freeing our minds, Right? But that's not what Paul means here. Uh, Biblical meditation is not freeing the mind, but it's focusing your thoughts. And what do we focus our thoughts on? Well, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, you think about these kind of things. And so in a general sense, this can refer to anything that stirs our hearts up to worship or inspires us to serve other people, but specifically our priority should be focusing our thoughts on the Word of God. And why? Well, all the attributes just listed, they describe God's Word to a T. See, for Christians to grow in Christ-likeness, to experience the peace of God, Our minds have to be renewed. They're tainted because of sin. And the primary means that God has established for the purification of your mind is the Word of God. You remember how how Jesus prayed in John 17, 17? 
He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So let me ask you this question and reflect honestly in your heart. What would happen? How would it affect your peace if you spent as much time meditating on God's word as you do on social media? Just get some percentages in your mind. Um, Compare the two. What percentage of your time is spent on the various platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever, compared with the percentage of time you spend focusing on God's truth? Listen, I'm not against social media. As a matter of fact, I spent an inordinate amount of time there this week trying to take in the best I could the dumpster fire that is Tennessee football. Been a tough week for me. I mean, it can be a good tool for information and for connections. But can I just confess for a moment, and my wife can verify that it was not a healthy week for me. Uh, All that extra time spent there, it actually did me more harm than good. It disturbed my peace. And so social media, as I said earlier, has been proven to increase our anxieties. And uh, God's Word decreases our anxiety and gives us peace. Doesn't it make sense then that we all prioritize more time spent meditating on, focused on the Word of God? Well, then we also practice God's Word through imitation. Look again at what Paul says in verse 9. What you have learned and what you've received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So in addition to thinking praiseworthy thoughts, God compels us to live out His Word. Understand that we won't experience peace in practical ways until His truth moves beyond the theoretical theoretical, and is fleshed out in our actual lives. And I love this. We learn to live the Word of God through the godly examples of the people that He places before us. Let's pause for a moment and just consider what a good gift Godly examples are to us. Think about it this way. Instinctively, when it comes to learning or perfecting a certain skill, we seek out examples. You know, just this past week, I had to put a new mirror on Brittany's car on the, the driver's side. She thought she was Dale Earnhardt for a moment, did a little rubbing and racing down Maple Street, and uh, had to help her out. Now, reading the manual was helpful to a degree, but, but the only thing that actually empowered me to complete that project was watching a YouTube video of a professional body man as he put a mirror on his wife's monster. So I just say to you, God has been so gracious to give us seasoned saints that, that model for us what it means to live peace-filled lives in the midst of a fallen world. You know, this is why we as a church value Uh, multi-generational ministry, family Sundays. We need each other. And aren't you thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ that are further down the path of sanctification than you are? I'm so grateful for humble men and women who model well how to reconcile. I'm thankful for people in this church that set the pace in prayer, demonstrating for us that we'll have no power apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this to you. God desires for you to see these examples up close. Uh, corporate worship is good and, and necessary, but He wants you to observe Christ-like examples up close. Uh, he wants you to get deeply involved in Christian community. 
He wants you to rub wool with the fellow sheep around you. And a practical way that we pursue Christian community here is through city groups. I know you've heard this pitch a lot, but it's necessary in a church this large to find community through these groups. I mean, sure, it's risky to get up and close and personal with people you don't know that well. And if you're an introvert, this might be a major move out of your comfort zone. But let me just say the risk is absolutely worth the reward. Because the peace of God will be with us as we do life together, as we live out God's Word alongside fellow believers. Our peace will increase when we dive into biblical community. And just as a reminder, if you haven't connected yet, you can go to our website, citylightomaha.org, and find a city group to be involved in. And so we experience peace through unity. We experience peace through prayer. Uh, We experience peace by practicing God's Word. And then we get this culminating word from Paul in verses verses 10 through 13. So if you're taking notes, number four, we experience contentment by continually trusting in Christ. We will only come to know contentment through the person and work of Christ. And so let me reread Verses 10 through 13, allow this to wash over you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, Philippians 4.13 is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. It's one of the most quoted passages. If you think back to Tim Tebow's playing days, he had Philippians 4.13 in his eye black oftentimes, and Uh, Basketball phenom Steph Curry has this verse etched on his basketball shoes. And we see this on innumerable trinkets at the local Christian bookstore. And I even saw this one time written inside the stall of a gas station down in Alabama. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. (laughs) Now, at the risk of... um, throwing cold water on your life first or your lower back tattoo, uh, what if I told you that we've been misapplying this verse for a lot of years? Now, what if God did not give us this verse to push us across the finish line of a 5K or to help us win football games? Because listen, Mike Riley, Butch Jones, it didn't matter if they had quoted this verse every play, it would not have helped the travesty that we witnessed this season. So know this verse addresses something that Paul calls a a secret. Uh, He's speaking to something that's challenging for for all of us us to obtain. And the challenge he's referring to is how to be content. Uh, He's telling us how he figured out the secret to have soul satisfaction. And so first of all, Paul thanks them for their financial support, but he also makes it clear to them that he really had no needs. 
He had learned to be content in whatever situation he found himself in. He learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You know, keep in mind that Paul was incarcerated as he wrote this letter. He wrote it from a Roman jail cell. And so Paul's trying to teach us that contentment isn't circumstantial. It's not based on your circumstances. But yet we buy into this myth over and over again, don't we? That somehow, if we can alter our circumstances, then we'll find that soul satisfaction that we so desperately crave. If we could just maybe upgrade our spouse or move to a new city to get away from our problems or get a better job and make more money. But no matter how many times you upgrade your situation, no upgrade will satisfy your deepest soul craving. And so what's the secret? What's Philippians 4.13? I can do all things... Through Christ who strengthens me or who strengthens my inner man. So contentment will only come when we become completely Christ-dependent. The only way our souls will ever be satisfied is by continually trusting Christ. Going to Him again and again and again. Making Him the center of our existence. So, So yes, we can do all things, but all things they reference to... We can be content in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And we find contentment when we cling to the person of Christ. And when we allow His power and His presence to fill us again and again and again. I love the fact that Paul said he learned. It means we all have hope that we're probably all not there yet. But over time, I hope as I age, as I get to be an old man someday, that I'm a content old man, not a cantankerous old man, with the joy and peace of God in my heart. You know, early theologian Augustine of Hippo, somebody please name your kid that, uh, came to realize that the source of true contentment was indeed in Jesus. But he discovered this after seasons of searching as a young man in his teenage years and especially in his 20s. He gave himself to excessive pleasures and false religions and a litany of philosophies. Then eventually, after winding up empty every time, he converted to Jesus by reading the book of Romans. And then a decade later, after his baptism, he was reflecting on the transformation that Christ had made in his life. And during that period, he penned the famous book that we know as his Confessions. And in his Confessions... He made this famous admission to God. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. So have you found your rest in Jesus? If you haven't, the invitation is simple. Just come this morning, drink of his living and soul-satisfying water. And if you're already a believer, the invitation is to keep coming. Our communion servers are getting ready. ready. And one practical way that we keep coming to Christ again and again and again is by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we commemorate His death and we anticipate His second coming. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we ask you to simply abstain, observe, or if you want to trust in Christ, if you're interested to learn more about him, maybe use this moment to find the prayer team in the back and people will help you there. Seek me out after the service. But if you are a believer, please come. We don't pass the elements. We'll have stations in the front and in the back. If you need gluten-free bread, that's available in the back for you. So let's go ahead and stand together. I want to pray for us. Leslie's going to come and lead us. And then we'll take communion together. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. For it's through your word we learn how we can experience the peace of God. Oh, Lord, thank you for crushing your son so that the enmity between you and us could be crushed. We just celebrate the peace we have in Jesus. But God, we're also so thankful that your word is practical. So God, empower us just to test these principles this week. Help us to give ourselves over to the practical means for experiencing your peace this season. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.